and I was sitting next to a guy in, who in today's world would probably be on a private plane. I probably never would have met this guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, But I knew he was a very successful guy because the first time I had ever seen a Rolex in real life, oh. and, he was wearing, and he was wearing one. And so as the plane was landing, I said, what advice can you give a young guy like me that's about to set off into the business world? And he said, take risks. Take them as young as you possibly can be because the older you get, the more complicated your life's going to get. Mm. And taking risks becomes more and more difficult. Welcome to the Raise Up Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Lefevre, and I'm so glad you are here. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in each and every week. I really appreciate all the love and support, and I hope you are getting as much from these amazing interviews as I am. We have an extra special guest this week, and I know you are going to love him. My new friend, Michael Coles. Michael is an Atlanta business executive, serial entrepreneur, and philanthropist who founded the Great American Cookie Company. I love this story and can't wait to dive in more. He did it with an $8,000 investment, and he grew it into the largest cookie franchise in the U.S. He's the former CEO of Caribou Coffee, where he doubled the size of the company and took it public on NASDAQ. He also helps a lot of people. He's the namesake of the Coles College of Business at Kennesaw State University and was the former chair of the Georgia Film Commission. Plus, he contributes his time, talent, and treasure to a lot of other nonprofit organizations. Michael, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, man, it's great to be with you. I've been really looking forward to having this conversation with you. So yeah, let's I, do it. Let's, I, I'm do it. let's do it. I'm really excited. And I'm sorry for the long introduction, but I just couldn't leave anything out. I read about some world records in three transcontinental bike races as well. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, I like a lot of people, I had not ridden a bike since I had been a kid. And uh, but six weeks after we started the cookie company, I was involved in a near fatal motorcycle accident. And I was basically told by doctors I'd never walk again unaided. And so I wound up using the bike uh, in part as part of my rehab. It was kind of a self-styled rehabilitation program. And like a lot of things in my life, as I started getting more flexibility uh, in my legs, uh, I started riding longer and longer distances. As I said, like most things in my life, I got a little carried away. <laughs> and so uh, I originally rode from Savannah, Georgia to San Diego, California. Uh, the idea was to use that ride or race uh, to set an example to people that you just can't give up. You can't quit. I had been very, because I felt very lucky that I had had the tenacity uh, to, to go ahead and do what doctors said would not be possible. And so I wanted to set an example. And then in 82, when I set this record, I knew it wasn't my best effort. And so I set out in 83 uh, to attempt break my record. And uh, I wound up crashing uh, less than 500 miles from San Diego. No way. I, I would have broken my record by over a week. Oh um, I had just great weather conditions. And so in 1984, I set out one more time to break my record. Uh, this time I had the worst weather possible across the country. If you ride a bike, you know that you can get a, you can deal with rain, you can deal with cold, 
you can deal with just about anything except headwinds. And I had 30 mile an hour headwinds from Savannah all the way up to 70 mile an hour headwinds in uh, California. I did manage to get across the country in 84 uh, and broke my record by over four days uh, across the country, 11 days, eight hours and 15 minutes. Oh my and then in 1989, I joined a four man team to do the race across America, which went from LA to New York. Uh, we went three, we won the race across America. We went 3000 miles in five days, one hour, eight minutes. It's the fastest crossing of America ever by a four man team. And it's the fastest 3000 miles ever covered under human power. And I'm proud to be with all your folks today to say that <laughs> both records still stand. That's amazing. And such an inspiring story, too, that you were able to do what you did and, and just continue to, to push forward. Well, and, and at the same time, we're still building the cookie company. Uh, the other thing I, I'll just mention, if anybody's interested, there is a, a documentary that was done on my 84 Crossing which is available on YouTube. All they have to do is type in Michael Cole's bicycle oh, and nice. uh, it, it'll, it'll show up. It was a documentary that was done. It was on NBC. That's so. awesome. I'll put that in the show notes for sure for everybody that, so they can go check that out. I'm going to go check that out. Actually, my dad uh, is a bike rider. He's always rode bikes my whole life. And so I just think it's super impressive. Well, I don't know <laughs> just... if you're, if, one of the things that happened, I, I don't know if this will be on the show or not, but mm -hmm. one of the things that happened when I was still on a walker and trying to get movement back into my legs, I watched a television show called The Rocky Blyer Story. Uh -huh. Rocky Blyer is a, a former running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers and was injured in Vietnam to the point where they told him he'd never walk again, let alone run, run with the football. And he wound up playing on, I believe, four super bowl championship teams and he when when i the documentary was done they asked me who i'd like to narrate it and of course that's the first name that came yeah. up which was rocky blyer and it turned out he did narrate it oh, and he amazing. and i and he and i wound up becoming really good friends so that's so cool oh my yeah, gosh so, okay yeah. wow so, i'll put that in there too the rocky blyers you said that's a story as well is it a video yeah, a documentary it, it was a it was a made for TV movie, and uh, he's a he's a really nice guy. Um, but anyway, yeah. So he won the uh, he narrates the entire mm -hmm. uh, documentary. He's a good guy. That's yeah. awesome. So I can't believe that you were doing all of this while you were actually building a company. And I saw uh, where you tell this story about being on a plane, sitting next to a successful businessman, and he gave you some advice about taking career risks. Or he had said, don't be afraid to take risks and don't be afraid to fail. Failure and success run hand in hand. Uh, can you tell me more about that? Do you feel like that still is something that's relevant today? Well, what happened was I was 22. I won a big sales contest mm -hmm. for the company I was with. And my company flew me back uh, first class. I had never flown first class before. And I was sitting next to a guy in, who in today's world would probably be on a private plane. I probably never would have met this guy. Mm -hmm. and uh, But I knew he was a very successful guy because the first time I had ever seen a Rolex in real life. Oh. And, he was wearing, and he was wearing one. And so as the plane was landing, I said, what advice can you give a young guy like me? 
that's about to set off into the business world. And he said, take risks, take them as young as you possibly can be, because the older you get, the more complicated your life's going to get. Mm. And taking risks becomes more and more difficult. So I have given that advice to literally thousands and thousands of people. I mentor, by the way, right now, several millennials. And I have to tell you, I think millennials get a really bad rap mm -hmm. because the, the millennials that, I get, that I've been involved with, I'm not sure who's learning more from whom. You know, <laughs> I, I, they see the, you know, I, I love listening and talking to them about what they're working on because generally their thinking is very different than the way I started out because we didn't have the internet. You know, we, we didn't have that internet thing. <laughs> and, you know, with, with younger people today that have literally grown up with the internet, when they're thinking about business or whatever, whatever they're doing in their life, they don't think about it as boxed in mm -hmm. as, you know, older people like myself. When we started out, like when I started the cookie company, it was pretty typical. You found a location, four walls, you built out a store, you did it in a mall and you hope that people would come. If I were doing the company today, it would be completely different. Mm -hmm. We would definitely want a store, but the way a millennial would think about it or the way most people today who are in business better start thinking about it is you got to think more globally. How do you reach all the people that might enjoy whatever it is you're doing that might buy whatever it is you're trying to do in a very different way? So I think the, the one thing I've seen with millennials is that they've taken all the barriers off when they're thinking about how they're going to go about their business. And so I think that advice is still pertinent mm -hmm. because a millennial, if they're fortunate, will get older and their lives and their lives are going to get more complicated. And so, uh, again, there's nothing wrong with taking risks. Just remembering that, you know, that failure does run hand in hand with success. But, you know, there's a great uh, amateur golfer. His name is Bobby Jones, who is a Atlanta, a Atlanta golfer who had a great saying. He's the greatest amateur golfer that's ever lived. And he said, I never learned anything from a golf tournament I ever won. And I think that that's the one thing that's important for people to always remember, that when you're successful at something, generally you don't uh, get take a lot of knowledge from it because it went along the way you expected. Mm -hmm. I think that when things don't go the way you want, um, that's when you really can learn something. And you know, one of the things I've often said is that the difference between the success and failure is dealing with the unexpected. Mm. And that's that's how people wind up, I think, really succeeding. Is how, you know, because being an entrepreneur is not about getting knocked down, it's about staying down. Mm. And it's about, you know, continuing to get up and learn and, you know, move on. Mm -hmm. so, that was a long answer. No, that was fantastic. <laughs> and there's so many, I have so many questions swirling. So how do you deal with the unexpected. I know that you've taken a lot of risks in your life and it, it seems like it's been rewarding. Uh, what is something that you would say to someone right now that is you know, dealing with uh, an awful boss or terrible leadership at their company or you know, they're trying to move up and they're pushing, pushing forward and striving for more, but they keep hitting like these barriers? Well, you know, first of all, I think that uh you got to find the right fit and you've got to, you've got to feel appreciated with whatever you do. 
And look, I started out in a in a world where I had a I had a really my boss, first mentor and real boss, a guy named Irving Sattler, was probably the toughest guy I ever worked for. Mm-hmm. And but at the same time, I knew I I knew my work was being appreciated. Uh, I will say that he was not the most generous guy in the world, and I would have I would also say that when I needed more money, he was not forthcoming necessarily with saying, "Hey." Here's more money. You're doing a great job, mm-hmm. but but the one thing he did do, which I felt, I felt, um, I felt very um, respected in what I was doing, even as a kid, starting out at 13, even by the, even, and I worked for him until I was 19. But I always felt respected. And I always felt appreciated, and I think if if anybody is in a position in a job, and I know the jobs. Sometimes you just have to stay in a job because you just need the money or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But the easiest time to find a job is when you have a job. And people should always remember that because when people are being interviewed, they like to interview people who, in fact, have a job. But if you're not feeling appreciated, and it's not about money necessarily, um, then you probably need to go someplace where you feel you will be appreciated. You know, Irving had a great expression. I once asked him why he had become an entrepreneur. And he said that uh, he had always been able to find a job and people always wanted to pay him what he was worth. And he said, I wouldn't work for that little. (laughs) And so he said, I had to kind of go on my own path. And in many ways for me, um, it was similar uh, in some ways because I didn't have a college education. Uh, I never went, went to college. And so when I was starting out, you know, that that was a that could be a roadblock. Mm-hmm. into getting into a place that you wanted to go. And so I became a risk taker pretty early on. And in Irving's words, because I, I wanted to make sure that I, I felt I was being paid what I was worth. And I think that's what people have to believe. I mean, if you're in a position where you're not feeling appreciated and not getting the kind of compensation that you think you're deserving, if you go to someone and they don't agree, and I think it's time to move on to something else. And again, goes back to that whole risk thing. Yeah, it's a risk to take another position. But on the other hand, you can't stay where you're unhappy. Mm-hmm. You just can't do it. Yeah, like that should be the first red flag almost that it's time to move to something. Matter of fact, else. I used to tell I always used to tell people that would work work with me mm-hmm. that if you have to if you have to come and ask me for a raise, you probably need to go someplace else. Oh. <laughs> I've never heard that before because we've been talking a lot lately about communication. And so have you ever been surprised by someone asking you for a raise? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I'd say that probably was more true when I was dealing with a smaller business. Mm-hmm. You know, as as businesses got, got bigger, um, sometimes you don't have that personal touch where you realize, my gosh, I should really be doing something more for this person. But I have had a number of situations where someone did come to me and felt like they needed more compensation. And I basically sat down and said, you know, if you have to come to me and ask me for a raise, you probably ought to sit down with me and find out what it is that you're doing that has not caused me to want to give you that raise. Mm-hmm. And, and so it can become a, it can become a good teaching moment as well mm-hmm. with people that work with you. The other thing, the other thing I would say is this: is that if you're in a position of leadership, it doesn't doesn't have to be. You don't have to be the CEO, 
But if you're in fact having to work with people who have to report to you, the one thing people should always remember is that the words of the person that's leading you, whatever comes out of your mouth is not necessarily being heard the way you intend. Mm. I've had I've had meetings where I thought the meeting went great and then the person left my office and went home for the day because they were so upset. And I thought it was a great meeting. Oh no. And, you know, and so sometimes, you know, it's just uh, communication is a, is a big part of working with folks. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you get it right and sometimes you just don't. I mean, there's a bunch of great stories in my book with, uh, that I kept, was published about a year and a half ago. Uh, the book is full of stories of things that, that uh, went wrong more than things that went right. Because as I've said earlier, I mean, I think the things that don't go the way you expect are the are the great teaching moments that you have in both your business and in your life, your personal life. Mm-hmm. My book is a lot about business, but it's more about living life, you know, on both sides, whatever you do for your career or whatever you do in your personal life. And so, um, you know, it's, it's definitely um, learning to, to both express how you feel with people, but also listening mm-hmm. and listening to people, you know, and um, anyway, I went off here. No, <laughs> no, you're fantastic. So I have your book. It's time to get tough. Michael Cole's book. And uh, I've started reading it. And I absolutely love it. You're tell you're a great storyteller. And you've had oh, a you. very interesting life. And you say that you're mentoring um, some people right now. What are some of the challenges that they're facing? And some of the advice that you've been giving you feel like? Well, um, I've meant I, I've mentored, you know, uh, a number of people over the years to the point where some of them it's been 20 years mm-hmm. uh generally it's you know it's it's how to get more funding which is mm. probably the most the most common thing or or trying to network trying to teach them about networking mm-hmm. the biggest thing if for me has been talking to people that i started out mentoring and then make t- talking to them about becoming mentors because now that they've mm-hmm. kind of found their way, uh, they need to give something back and and to help other young people, younger people. And that, by the way, that's not necessarily young people. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about people that may be just young to whatever it is they're doing. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm, I literally right now am mentoring uh, four people from 22 to 54. Nice. And the 54-year-old is someone who at 50 decided to make a complete change in their life. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a person that also needs help mm-hmm. in kind of giving them direction. And um, the one thing I think probably more than anything I try to do with people that I'm trying to help is is to just get them to focus on what's really important. And, you know, especially in the world today where you do have the internet and this ability to think about things on a more global basis, you still have to get back to what is what is the value proposition of what you're doing and not get so caught up in all these peripheral things that you might possibly be able to do mm. and but focus on focus on the main thing that you're trying to accomplish you know uh i know the cookie business seems you know really simple i was in the care of the coffee i've been in the banking business you know 
running the film commission. Here's a, here's a, in the book, I talk about the story about how we took Georgia from uh, at one point where it was one of the top five places in the United States uh, to produce full length films, as well as um, commercials and music videos and all that. When I got there, Georgia was probably 10 or 12 in the country. Mm -hmm. And we were doing about, we were doing about 180 million in economic impact, which may sound like a lot, but it's not mm -hmm. when you're talking about, about economic impact. And when I sat down with the executive director, I was the lay leader, you know, no, I wasn't getting paid, mm -hmm. but this is like the paid person that was running the film commission. And he sat down with me and started talking to me about uh, how we could do more business. And he started saying, you know, how other states had uh, studios, editing facilities, tax incentives. He went down this whole list of all the things that we didn't have in Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I just, I'm trying to figure out how we can, you know, bring this business back. And I said to him, you're asking the wrong question. I said, you're asking how to do more business. If we don't have all these things, why does anybody come here to do a business with us at all? Yeah. I said, I said, because until we figure out why people come, we can't figure out how to bring more. Mm. And so we started a process of putting together an incredible board uh, of people who all touched the industry. To make a long story short, in the 40 years that I ran uh, the film commission with this incredible board, we took it from 180 million to over a billion wow. in four years. And today, Georgia is 12 and a half billion. Wow. Uh, and the number and the number one producer of full length motion, motion picture films in the world. That's amazing. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. So again, it's a it was it was it was focusing on the core mm -hmm. of what drove people to the state and then building off of that. Mm -hmm. And you can't go from well, maybe some can, but I've never figured out how to go from the outside in. Right. You got to kind of go from that inside out. To build it. So, so people that are working in corporate America, is that kind of a good strategy for them as well? Like focus on what is working <clears throat> here and expand out there? I think it is. I mean, I think that um, a lot of people can people can be easily distracted, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that does not mean that you don't look at how to do things differently or try something different than new. But at some point, if things are not working the way you want, you know, you kind of just say, okay, that's not going to work. And now, but, and at the same time you're trying to do it, I think you've also got to continue to build on the strength of whatever it is you're working. Mm -hmm. Let that be the core that, you know, that holds you up. And then sure, you should have definitely, I mean, I, if if I, we were in the cookie business, you know, or coffee business, if we never came out with a different cup of coffee or a different cookie or a different brownie or whatever it might have been, you know, we probably would have been a five-year wonder and that would have been the end of the business. Mm -hmm. But so you experiment with stuff, but we have plenty of stuff that failed, plenty of stuff that didn't work, you know, and you learn from them and try to figure out why they didn't work and then maybe create a new product mm -hmm. or a process that, um, will allow you to go into a different area. One of, one of the things that I think that, that people can lose track of 
especially let's say you are successful at a new product or a new process. It's not like you're living in some vacuum where your competitor uh, is not looking at to see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And if they find that you're doing something that's really different, you know, it, it, we're, I guess what we would say, uh, some, something disruptive, you know, something in an industry or a product or whatever it might be that's disruptive. Remember your competitor, that's going to be their starting point. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Right? Whatever you've done that's so great, that's, it's like I, get, I got asked a question recently at a university. They said, what industries do you think are still prime to be disrupted? And I said, anything that was disruptive five years ago probably could also be now disrupted. Mm -hmm. Just look at how they're doing it. Yeah. Figure out a way to do it better. Yeah, because you can just improve on what they've already done. They've gone through all yeah, the failures and the learnings. And so you can move to that place. You had said earlier that uh, there were two things, the funding and then the networking that you, you talk to people about the most. We haven't really touched on networking very often in the show, but I feel like it is extremely important in people's lives. Uh, what do you think? as far as networking, how is it that you build a, a good network? Well, I think this is probably one of my favorite subjects of all. Excellent. Because, uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that I think that people make a big mistake in network. A lot of people make a big mistake. They approach it with what can you do for me? Mm. And in networking, there's it's got to be a two way street, you've got to find um, strategic relationships where you can benefit each other. And if not, it, it won't, it just won't go forward. And at some point, um, that the person that you're trying to network with is going to just feel like, you know, this is really kind of a waste of my time. Yeah. But it's, it's no different than when you're selling something that, that somebody wants or somebody needs they're, they're going to buy that from you because obviously there's a benefit to them. Networking is selling. I mean, that's what it really is. And so if you're selling yourself or selling your business or whatever the relationship is, and what you're trying to get is ex to an expansion of that, to find someone that can help you move into different areas. Well, at the same time, you need to be asking the questions, how can I help you? Mm -hmm. I mean, how, you know, are there places that you're looking to move into that maybe I could be of some service to you? But I see people going to these to these networking things, and basically it's me, 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 mm -hmm. and it's just not going to work. You might get a phone number, and you might even get a coffee, but to get it beyond that, it's about a, it's about relationships. Mm -hmm. I mean. Networking is no different than any other kind of a relationship. It's, it's got to work both ways. So what about in this day and age where we've moved so much to technology and it's less about the in-person relationship building? What do you think? Well, do you think that's good well, or do you think it's bad that we're less connected? Well, you know, with what has been going on right now, we're probably the least connected we've ever been mm -hmm. uh, well, with uh, COVID-19. Look, I still believe there's, um, well, the, the human factor of interacting 
and actually getting together with people. I don't know that, um, I, I would hope that we never get away from that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, even people I talk to now that are uh, doing a lot of their business through Zoom or, you know, whatever type of uh, video communication we're now using, just like we are right now. Mm -hmm. But but there is still something, there's still something different than that human touch. I can say this, I do a lot of public speaking and I've done many podcasts and I've done big webinars, you know, where you've got three, four, five, ten thousand people listening. It's not the same as standing in front of an audience. That's true. You know, it's just not the same of getting that emotional feedback that you can feel, the expressions on people's faces, you know, in, in looking at them and all those other other interactions. Uh, I think I hope I hope we never move away from that. And I don't think we are. I mean, this if you if you see before all this happened, um, people were still going to meetings, you know, people were still going to coffees. I mean, mm -hmm. caribou coffee would not survive. Uh, Starbucks would not survive yeah. if it wasn't for all those personal kind of meetings that are happening. But there's no doubt that you've you've got to have a different set of skills today. And learning how to communicate through this type of communication is probably easier for people who've grown up with it than it is for people that have not. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, every year, you know, here's the way I would relate to this. I am sure that when the telephone was invented, people said that is the end of human communication. Right. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's it. We're done. People are never going to want to go see each other anymore. They don't have any reason to. I think this is just the beginning of a new way of communicating. And it's just an, it's an add-on. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's not, the, it's just like talking on a cell phone. I mean, that, that's probably more that people can relate to. I mean, the fact is that it hasn't been around that long. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure when, when that first happened, people started thinking, well, that's the end of human interaction. And I know that when I sit in the car with, you know, today would be my grandchildren and they're sitting in the back seat. They're not even talking to each other. They're texting each other in the back seat. Right. And I know why they're doing it because they don't want me to know what they're talking about. <laughs> but, but, but the thing of it is, is that everyone's afraid that that's the end of socialization mm -hmm. with young, that younger. It's not, it's just different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. So it seems like the strategy, though, is to, you know, continue to communicate, kind of navigate this period of time that we're in, but to always keep in mind, like, what is the, what can I do for them? How can I help them type of situation instead of always thinking about what's in it for me type of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there. It, you know, I hate the expression win-win, but it really is a win-win. I mean, people have to feel that um, they're really getting something. My son, as an example, has a company that helps companies manage strategic relationships. Mm -hmm. And when he first told me what he was doing, and he's very successful at it, I thought to myself, why does a company need that? You know, I mean, it's like, why do they have to hire I can understand they have, maybe have somebody internally, mm -hmm. but why do they need an external person? And the point he made was that if you're on the inside of a company, 
it's hard for you to see how you're not giving more than the, the other side is getting that you're getting from them. Mm. And that that's why they need someone to help manage it. To sh- you know, it's like why do, <laughs> why do married people go to counselors for me, you know, to meet right. with, uh, some, some, some person to help them manage through a personal relationship. Business relationships are no different. Mm-hmm. So somebody has to feel that they're both important to the relationship. And I think that's where networking, again, that's where people, I think, fail, where they don't get, where people don't get the understanding of what they each bring and why together they're better. Mm -hmm. I like that. So we typically ask people to share their best uh, story about like their war story about getting a raise or asking for a raise. It doesn't have to be you specifically, but do you have any awkward, funny, interesting stories? about when somebody was trying to get a raise? Oh, yeah. Actually, I have a great story. Excellent. the best story. Wow, you're so good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and the story actually is in the book. Uh So after I won that sales contest that I talked about earlier, um, and after I flew home with that great guy who gave me the great advice, Mm -hmm. uh, I was, my territory that I was where I was a salesman on the road, and my territory was Western Michigan. And... um, which which included from let's say you know michigan it was everything but the thumb of michigan so detroit was the part of the thumb and this is back in the heyday of michigan by the way in the heyday of detroit and so i had won the sales contest i was doing more business in western michigan than the guy who had all of the thumb of michigan and he had just opened a big account they cracked this big account and such a big account that that it was going to be his only territory. It was just this one account. And so the thumb or Detroit opened up and I called my boss up for the sales contest. And I said, I was 22. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I want, I want, I want to take that territory. I want that territory in Detroit. And I said, but I want the whole state. And I said, what I'll do is I'll hire someone to work for me in Western Michigan, take over my territory, and I'll move to Detroit and I'll take over Detroit and I'll supervise to make sure we continue to build on what I built in Western Michigan. And my boss was a guy named Bob Lors, and he just started laughing. Oh no. Literally. He just started <laughs> laughing. And he said to me, <laughs> he said, kid, he said, you're not ready for Detroit. He said, They'd laugh at you because I was 22 and I probably looked 12. Uh-huh. And he said, he said, you'll walk into one of these big department stores and they won't even see you. They, they you know, just, you, you know, he said, slow down. I'll never slow down. <laughs> slow down. You know, you're not ready yet. And I said, uh, I really want the territory. I want it laid out exactly as I said. And if you don't give me the territory, I'm telling you now in january because this is september this was in september i said in january i'm leaving i'm going to go take a different job and he said you're not going to leave you just started making money you know you're doing really well you're not i said bob i'm telling you now if you don't give me the territory i'm leaving mm-hmm. he said okay okay anyway make a long story short i never got the interview with him he oh, hired no. somebody he hired somebody else uh-huh. and um in december I called them up on the phone because they had sent me the samples 
for the new line that was going to we started selling in January. Mm -hmm. And I called them up and asked them what to do with them. I said, why did they send this to me? And he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm leaving in January. And he said, what do you mean you're leaving? And I said, I told you, if you didn't give me the territory, <laughs> I was going to leave. And he said, don't go anywhere. So he got on a plane, he flew in that. Anyway, the bottom line was that he didn't give me what I wanted. I mm -hmm. took the advice from the guy on the plane and basically just decided this is when I had to take the risk. I quit, I quit territory. I moved to Detroit with another company. Uh -huh. uh, and um, to say that it was a successful move would be an understatement. Excellent. Because at, because at, um, at 23, I cracked every major department store retailer in Michigan and uh, wound up having three people working for me in the state. Uh, every time one of my retailers ran a full page ad of what we were selling, I sent a copy of it to my old boss. No, Martin you Lawrence. did not. <laughs> I did. And, and we stayed the greatest of friends until he passed away just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And he, would, he wound up becoming president of the company I was working for. And in an interview, they asked, and this is years after I was no longer working for him. I was not probably still, I was probably now in the cookie business. Uh -huh. They said to him, Bob, that, you know, you've had a great road to success. You started in the carnival business oh my and you wound up in the clothing business and you wound up becoming president of the company you went to work as a salesman. He said, have you made any mistakes along the way? And he said, yeah, I didn't promote Michael Coles. No to way. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the story about trying to get away. That is yeah. incredible. And I don't think that we could end on on a better story at all. I can't <laughs> believe that worked out like that. That's amazing. So yeah. I know that you have this book and all of these amazing stories in it. Where can people find the book? How can they how can they get their hands on this? Okay, so it is available both on uh, hard hard copy and Kindle on Amazon. Okay, and uh, it's a it's at a number of uh, local bookstores as well. Love to promote local bookstores, mm -hmm. and uh, and then my website, which is on, right now under construction, uh, also is available for folks. It's got the video; it will have the documentary on it. Uh, hopefully it's going to be up in another week, but we just took it down and completely rebuilding it. So, oh, fantastic. but Amazon is a, Amazon is a great way. And like I said, the documentary is available on YouTube. Okay. I'll make sure that I link all of that stuff in the show notes. And Michael, thank you so much for coming on the Man, show. This was fun. <laughs> it has been so fun. It's been a real pleasure and you are super inspiring and it's incredible your journey. And that race story is by far one of the best. Don't tell anybody else, but that is definitely the best that I've heard so far. <laughs> All right. We'll stay in touch. Okay. Take care. Hey, thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, and you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories, and then tag me at Amanda Lefevre. Thanks again for listening. I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.